great to see you here today and welcome as well to everyone who's joining us online as we continue our Better Together teaching series. And today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25. You can look it up on your phone if you wish or on page 1873 in the Bible under the chair in front of you. Uh, but just a heads up, we'll take a big picture approach, eventually working our way down to this scripture passage. And just before we read it together, uh, let me fill in the background for you. Hebrews is a better together book, although to call it a book is actually, actually isn't accurate. It's, it reads more like a sermon. Uh, and we have no idea who put this sermon together, but we do know from clues in the writing that he was a well-educated pastor-preacher guy who knew and loved the people to whom he wrote. And these people likely belong to a network of house churches in the city of Rome. And life for them was difficult. More on that soon. So this pastor wants to motivate and encourage them, especially since he actually isn't there with them at the moment. So he puts a sermon together and he sends it. And they all get summoned when it arrives. And then all at one sitting, all the way through, they listen together as someone preaches, or more really reads it, on behalf of this pastor. So with that in mind, let's read this scripture passage now. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. J.B. Phillips is a name some of you may recognize. He was a prominent Bible translator and writer some decades ago who wrote books that sold millions and which influenced many people searching for an authentic faith in Jesus. He also ministered to thousands through personal letter writing. But he's best known for the New Testament in modern English, published in 1958 and better known as the Phillips translation. It was his attempt to render the scriptures in more readable, relatable English, in the language of his day. So here is J.B. Phillips, a person of faith, a man of accomplishment, but there was something else about him, and he was very open and honest about this. You see, Phillips struggled with clinical depression and anxiety disorders. It was crushing, paralyzing. It kept him in a constant state of discouragement and more. As he once described it, I can with difficulty endure the days, but I frankly dread the nights. Almost every night of my life is shot through with such mental pain, fear, and horror. Yet God used Philip's, both his pain and his way with words, to gift people with a fresh unpacking of the scriptures. And you can hear both of those come together beautifully, his life experience and his learning, 
in passages like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. You've probably heard this verse as, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But listen to how Phillips puts it. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. Doesn't that just connect with you somewhere deep inside? Seasons of discouragement, those tough times and trials that just suck the life out of us and leave us exhausted. J.B. Phillips lived with them, and we all experience them at times, don't we? But then there are seasons when discouragement moves into something more, doubt. Those moments when all we can do is scream questions at the faith, because nothing makes sense anymore, even God. Philip Yancey is another gifted Christian writer who has helped many people by exploring what doubt can look like within the boundaries of faith. His own difficult family experiences and growing up in a toxic church, which provided answers that didn't add up, caused him to leave his faith behind once before God met him and journeyed with him as he screamed questions at the faith. Questions that he turned into some great books with titles like Disappointment with God. Where is God when it hurts? Church, why bother? To name a few. Books that have helped people travel through their own questions into an authentic faith in Jesus. You know, the Bible is such an honest book that genuinely engages with all of life, not just the feel-good fun moments with whipped cream and a cherry on top. In fact, the scriptures often, often, Explore those discouraging moments when we find it hard to keep going and those times of doubt when we just want to pack it all in. Which brings us to the situation into which Hebrews is speaking. These Jesus followers are in a season of discouragement and doubt. Back in the first century Roman Empire, Christianity was just an obscure religious sect. Most people worshipped Greek and Roman gods or practiced a religion like Judaism that was officially recognized by the powers that be. But Christianity was gaining a following. Why? Well, because it told a story about a humble God who came to us in Jesus, who out of unconditional love sacrificed himself for others and who called on people in the same way to show humble, unconditional, sacrificial love to their neighbors. And wherever Jesus' followers did this in an authentic and compassionate way, it started to turn the world upside down. Wherever the Christian faith was growing, it created a sense of welcome and inclusion that cut across lines of race, money, social status that had never really been experienced before. But of course, not everyone was happy about this. Some people had a vested interest in keeping things as is. And there was pushback going on. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34 acknowledges that some years previous, these folks had experienced persecution, public insults, confiscation of property, beatings, jail time. Yet they'd kept their faith through it all. But now, a few years on, it's happening again. Times are tough. Though fortunately, chapter 12, verse 4 tells us, no one's been killed yet. But they're understandably discouraged. They're growing weary and losing heart, as chapter 12, verse 3 says. And doubt is taking hold. They're no longer, chapter 3, verse 14, trusting God as firmly as when we first believed. The wear and tear is showing, which this pastor preacher points out in some tough love moments. They become 
lazy. Chapter 6, verse 12. Not putting in the effort their faith requires. In particular, chapter 5, verse 11, you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. So they've stopped growing. They're like spiritual babies in arrested development. Chapter 5, verses 12 to 14 in the New Living Translation. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And because they are spiritually immature, they are easily carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. Chapter 13, verse 9. Things are a bit of a mess, it's fair to say. In fact, this pastor preacher has a real concern that their discouragement and doubt will cause them to completely drift away from faith, which is why he offers some straight talk warnings in chapters 2, 3, 6, 10, and 12 about losing out on God's blessings forever and facing God's judgment instead. Yikes. But look, he doesn't say all these things just to guilt them and make them feel bad. No, he understands how difficult the situation is. All he's trying to do is wake them up and make them realize that they're missing out on something that's worth believing in and something that's full of hope. And we'll chat about all that in just a moment. But first, let's talk about us, you and me right here. What discouragement and doubts are you experiencing these days? Now, I think we should acknowledge that some of you here in person and online know something about what Hebrews is talking about here because you've experienced pushback for your faith. And this has left you discouraged and asking questions. But your discouragement and doubt might also come from something else entirely. Maybe COVID has just really messed you up and things still don't seem normal, whatever that is including you feel deflated in your faith and the wear and tear is showing up in the fact that you've just kind of shelved your spiritual practices for now and sometimes you're even ready to just leave it all behind. Or maybe COVID has nothing to do with it. It's more about long-term wear and tear in your health, in relationships, on the job, stresses and strains that are leaving you exhausted with little energy to invest in your faith, but enough energy still to scream questions at it. Look, folks, whatever it might be, Hebrews is a sermon full of hope and promise that gives us something worth believing in. And the pastor preacher who put it together most of all wants these people in Rome and you and me too to take to heart this important truth. Here it is. He wants them to know that, yes, they might be discouraged. They might even have second thoughts. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is far better, far greater than they could ever imagine. He's still worth believing in. And he uses a sophisticated theological argument to explain why. And we're not going to, going to go into much detail here, but the argument goes something like this. He starts, in fact, this is how his whole sermon begins in chapter 1, by simply declaring that Jesus is undeniably God. He wants these folks to hear from someone whom they know and trust, someone they can believe without hesitation, that Jesus who walked the roads of Palestine not long ago and who shared life with people along the way, that this Jesus was more than just a human being. In fact, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, 
He is the Son who now sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and who perfectly embodies God's character and bears God's authority and in fact is the life spring of creation itself through whom the universe was made. Jesus is God. And then this pastor preacher builds from there, showing how Jesus brings all of the old covenant life in Israel into perfect focus through his new covenant relationship with them and with us here today too. He wants us all to know that Jesus, the Son of God, brings all things to completion. His authority surpasses the prophets of the past who in fact look to him, the Messiah, to come. And he speaks for God in a way the angels never could. And he is a superior mediator between God and his people than Moses ever was. And he is at one and the same time the ultimate high priest and the perfect sacrifice who replaces the Levitical high priesthood of old and who now enters into God's presence on our behalf, not just as high priest, but also as the perfect atoning sacrifice for all sin forever. Which means that, from the scripture passage we read together earlier in chapter 10, we are free and clear once and for all to come into God's presence forever with Jesus, the great high priest over the house of God. Verse 21, acting as both the go-between on our behalf and also the blood sacrifice in our place. Therefore, verse 19, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's who Jesus is, and this is what he's done for us. Jesus is someone worth believing in. Folks, like I said, this is a sophisticated argument. And look, if I just lost you along the way, uh, maybe you were scratching your head a bit confused and puzzled by what I was saying, or even if you just plain tuned me out, know that you're in good company. Because you see, this sermon in Hebrews goes into way more detail about all this than I just did. And those poor church folk in Rome had to sit and listen through it all. Some of them, no doubt, nodding off for a nap at some point. But you know, I'm sure that what stuck with these folks, even if they were tuning out the actual argument, what they still heard, if I can say it that way, is the heart of the pastor preacher behind it. In this better together moment, he is saying to them and to us, People, I love you more than you could ever imagine. And I know in the very marrow of my bones who Jesus is. And it's my sure and certain faith in Jesus that I'm so desperately trying to put into words for you now. So that together, supporting and encouraging each other in your discouragement and doubt, you too have reasons to hold on and not let go. And how about you and me here today? We talked a while back about our own personal discouragement and doubts. You know, folks, sometimes if we can't get past these on our own, we simply need to lean on the faithful example of other people in our lives. Maybe this pastor preacher with his unshakable faith is saying to you today that Jesus is the real deal. So hold on and believe. Or maybe it's someone else, a faithful parent who has prayerfully walked with you on your journey, or a friend who has spoken into your life with spirit-inspired wisdom in tough moments, or a fellow church member who, in a better-together word of discernment, has counseled you around a difficult decision. Whoever it is, hold on, lean on their faith, and simply trust in Jesus. Okay, so let's review. 
This pastor, like any good preacher, is, is giving these people in Roma motivational go team go pep talk in the midst of tough times. And he starts with solid Bible teaching to explain why, theologically speaking, they're making the right decision to hold on to their faith and trust in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the real deal. Which means that, chapter 10, verse 19, they can have confidence, or verse 22, full assurance that they're making the right choice. Those words, confidence and full assurance, come from Greek words that imply having a clear and reasoned and rock-solid certainty about what you believe, which then gives you the boldness to live your faith out. So this pastor preacher guy is saying to this congregation, you have every solid, certain reason to believe. But at the same time, just in case your discouragement and doubts are too much to overcome right now, you also have my example, my confidence, my full assurance that Jesus is the real deal, and you can simply lean on me. But then this pastor goes the next step. In Hebrews chapter 10, he gives them practical tools for how to not only constructively hold on, but more than that, how to grow their faith out of discouragement and doubt. And what I want you to notice, first of all, is that the counsel he offers is very much about being better together. Three times in verses 22, 23, and 24, he invites them to work on their faith together. Let us, let us, let us. And remember, they would have heard those words repeated as they sat listening together, reinforcing the point. So let's take a closer look now at verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. You know, this is all about spiritual intimacy with God. It's about practicing daily disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, that bring us into God's life-giving presence. In the language and culture of Jewish people in the time of Jesus, the heart was seen as the place where thoughts and emotions came together to shape and motivate a person's spiritual character and behavior. And people were encouraged, therefore, to practice daily disciplines that would build a life pattern of sincere-hearted commitment to God. If you want to get a sense of what this looks like, go read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, which lays out a framework of daily personal disciplines that Jewish people in ancient Israel and in the time of Jesus were called to practice. So how about us here today? Are we daily drawing near to God in some way, through prayer, Bible reading, or some other spiritual discipline. I know that the past few years, COVID and all that, has led some of us into seasons of real discouragement about this. Or maybe it's always been a challenge for you. It certainly has been for me sometimes. Well, here's a simple basic plan that might help you. Try this for starters. Take just 10 minutes reading scripture at some point in your day. I'd suggest one of the Gospels, maybe the Gospel of Mark first. It's a very short Life of Jesus biography. Then add in five minutes of conversational prayer with God. Tell God what you think and feel about Him, including your doubts, be honest. And tell God how your day is going and share your needs and concerns. Plus, on top of the ten minutes and five minutes, Pause before every meal to simply thank God for how he generously provides. Ten minutes, five minutes, one minute, one minute, one minute. 
18 in total. If you can do that consistently every day, you'll begin to grow a sincere-hearted faith in God again. And then, look for better together ways to build on this. Is there someone in our church family you can meet with in person or virtually online for prayer and Bible reading? Or how about this? Our life group has a prayer schedule that encourages us to pray for each other. Maybe your life group can try that, or maybe you already do. Bottom line, find some way to practice better together spiritual disciplines which will strengthen and grow your shared belief that Jesus is indeed the real deal. On to verses 23 to 25. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That word hold comes from a Greek word that means keeping a tight grip on something with all the strength you've got. And unswervingly from one that means to not bend, to remain straight. So this pastor preacher is saying to them and to us, stand tall and straight in your faith, holding on with complete confidence and with all your strength. Then in verses 24 and 25, he gives them some best practices to help them do this. Practices that together will mutually encourage the faith of them all in a better together way. Verse 24, let us consider. Folks, there's a high calling going on here. That word consider in the Greek means to be totally intent, giving something complete attention. So we are being called to bring that kind of laser focus to spiritually caring for each other. How? Verse 24 again by spurring one another on to love and good deeds. In other words, through our own loving words and actions, we are to motivate, spur our fellow believers to likewise live out their love for Jesus in practical ways that bring life to other people. So, here's a question to guide us as we all try to do this in a better together way. You know, sometimes we can just overcomplicate things when all it takes is just a bit of intentional effort. So here's what I encourage us all to do. Ask yourself this question. Who in this church family, and I don't mean just those of us here in the worship center today. No, I mean anyone who's part of this community of faith. Who in this church family do I need to encourage in their faith today? I'm sure that someone will come to mind. Then just follow through. Figure out when, today or this week, and figure out how. Maybe just spend time with them. Maybe they're lonely or going through some real difficulties and just need the gift of your presence. Or maybe they need you to speak a good and godly word into their lives through a card, a text message, a phone call, or to do something for them, some tangible gift of gospel love that models to them the love and good deeds to which Jesus, who is the real deal, calls us all. Give it some thought, then make it happen soon. Okay, last verse, verse 25. So I want you to imagine the scene here. These people in Rome are summoned for a special better together gathering to hear from this beloved pastor preacher. And they're, they're all there now together including probably some who had started to drift away from this congregation, but were there now because they heard something special was happening. And to all these gathered people, this pastor preacher says, verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
The sums in the room no doubt took note of that. And the congregation as a whole immediately recognized just how concerned this pastor-preacher guy was about the situation. Why? Those words give up comes from the same Greek word translated in Jesus' cry from the cross as forsake. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This pastor preacher realizes just how crucial it is that they and us, for that matter, meet together. We really are better together. Our faith flourishes best in the company of each other. I mean, how could we possibly, verse 25, encourage one another in splendid isolation? Extending care and concern and offering words of support and reassurance will have zero impact if there's no one there to receive them, right? Which explains why this pastor preacher calls on them not to give up, not to forsake, not to abandon meeting together for worship and to learn from the scriptures and to just enjoy each other's company. And how about us here today? You know, there are always many reasons we can offer to not make this part of the day-to-day -day pattern of our lives. And it's also easy to do just the opposite, to overcommit and go flat out getting involved in every church activity you can. Folks, this is about meaningful, consistent engagement with each other. It's not about doing it all. Whether that meeting together is in person, online, or a sometimes awkward combination of the two, we all must find our ways to a consistent rhythm of worship, scripture study, and fellowship together. Folks, we need this. Because our faith in Jesus, who is the real deal, will grow and flourish most, seeing us through seasons of discouragement and doubt as we learn and live it out in each other's better-together company. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, we just want to acknowledge that we don't always get it right. That in those times when discouragement gets to us and doubt takes hold, we sometimes lose our way and pull back from faith in you. Yet even then, Lord, we can count on you because you are the real deal. You're not some fiction our minds have made up. No, you are God, worthy of worship. And you guide and gift us in so many ways, seeing us through the difficult seasons in our lives. Above all, Lord, you give us the blessing of each other's better together company so that we can go through our discouragement and doubts in the life-giving presence of sisters and brothers in the faith. And for that, Lord, we are grateful beyond words. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.